soy, I think we could start. It's a, uh, I think we, we, we have a lot to talk. Um, so, hey. Yes, so, so we are here in a new episode of the History and Politics podcast and, and we have a, a great guest. We have Mila Gorajev and, and she is, a, um, has written in the Center for Civil Society and other places, and we are here now to talk about um, Canada. So, yeah, in particular, Canadian politics. So, what what is going on in Canadian politics now, right now? Because I am hearing so weird things, but I still don't know what exactly is happening. Um, so there's a lot going on because we have an election coming up soon. So, I mean, what's been in the news recently is the SNC-Lavalin scandal. So SNC-Lavalin is an architectural company. Um, and they, during when Gaddafi was still the, uh, in charge of Libya, um, basically they, uh, one of the people from company who was Libyan himself, I believe, um, was charged with bribing um, officials there in order to get projects in Libya. Um, so what happened is, is that uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, who is from, uh, in Trudeau's liberal government, um, was, she had recently come forward and said, said that she wanted to prosecute uh, SNC for, uh, you know, bribing people, <laughs> uh, which is a, actually a huge problem with engineering and architectural companies in Canada. We've had other scandals um, about uh, that have related to this sort of thing. So now um, a lot of people that go into engineering or architecture, I think, have to take like ethics quizzes. But um, basically, Yeah, so Jody Wilson-Raybould um, resigned, and she was she wanted to prosecute SNC, and she to she testified saying that Trudeau told her not to, and not just kind of told her, but sort of pushed her not to. Um, so now there's this big talk about you know corruption scandal and uh, crony capitalism, obviously. Uh, So <laughs> that's one of the big things. Um, the other big thing um, was that obviously we have a new political party um, that is going to partake in the next election called the People's Party of Canada. Despite the name, it is not a <laughs> communist party. Um, some people might be confused and think that's the case, but... They're actually the opposite. So they're like a far right um, kind of wing of the conservatives that are a bit upset at conservatives for not being as like purely conservative. Um, some of the stuff is libertarian, like they are against supply management uh, and stuff like that. But a lot of the stuff is just like taking the anti-immigrant stuff like even further Um And it's led by Maxime Bernier, who almost won uh, the candidacy for the leader of the Conservative Party, but sort of narrowly lost to Andrew Scheer. So he kind of parted with the party after that. So it's going to be interesting to see how the election pans out, obviously. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, we don't really 
know what's going to happen. I have a feeling the liberals might still uh, sort of make it this election, but that would have to be because of the poorness of the other options around them or the lack of strength the other parties are exhibiting right now. Yeah, I mean, what you mentioned of Bernier is, is true. He he was even in an event of, of libertarians uh, uh, when it was called, I think, is International Students for Liberty in what now is LibertyCon in, in Washington, D.C. He was uh, two years ago, I think. Uh, and I think it was very controversial issue because uh, it was in libertarian ideas overseas and basically all the the, the panelists were members of, of relatively right-leaning parties and it is interesting because Italy is a very curious example of, of people who are pretty free market like the and, and like the now disappeared radical party which was emerged as a, as a, as a, a radical wing in both uh, of the of the of the liberal party in Italy and as its left faction it, it it was strangely because it was i think the only left libertarian party that has existed it, it was pro market but it still it, it was very supportive of, of palestine and, and a lot of causes that are more common to the left and and it was it was very strange but but i think that 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 was the issue what I knew Bernier and I, I think he yeah it's very controversial because obviously at that event also people were discussing open borders obviously an idea that, that Bernier doesn't share and it, it's curious how he could argue against immigration and particularly against the immigration that there is happening in Canada because if as far as I know Canada has a, a point system that, that recruits a lot of, of talented immigrants from overseas so they are uh, in general a net economic gain to the, to Canada. Many of them are engineers or, or people with very specialized kind of degrees that and that education haven't been funded by, by Canada, but many times by their host countries that then sometimes even educated them freely. So I don't know how what what is his argument. So there there's a lot of um, I think people abroad would be surprised uh, at how anti-immigration sentiment is actually very popular in Canada. Um, Canada is usually seen as some, a country that's more friendly to immigration, but it's not quite, I don't think. So, for instance, I've spent a lot of time looking at like comments from everyday sort of Canadian people. Um, or like I listen to people, you know, around me that don't come from immigrant families and they're not, they sort of have a lot of misconceptions uh, about immigration um, that I think parties like the Conservative Party and the People's Party sort of play on. Um, so they're, they're basically all the typical arguments that are being made Um against immigration that we see elsewhere. So the first one is about, okay, well, why are we focusing on helping people from other countries when we have people suffering here? So for instance, we've taken in a lot of refugees from Syria and a lot of Canadians are angry about that because they're saying, well, there are people here that are suffering. Why are we trying to help people who come from another place? Um, obviously like, there's so many things wrong with that claim. 
but we can get to that after <laughs> that. So that's one of the, one of the big things. Um, I think another big thing is that there's a sort of like white reactionary uh, moment that's happening right now where like people are scared of having their culture or their communities being replaced. Um, they're worried about the assimilation capacities of immigrants and I think a lot of this just streams from general ignorance um, about immigrants, about the places that they're coming from, and about the intent of the immigrants themselves. Um, then there's, lastly, there's arguments about like the labor market, and while we don't have the capacity to take in certain kinds of immigrants that can't contribute to the economy in this way or this way, obviously the problem with that is that there's no way to know what kind of contributions immigrants are going to make down the line. So, I mean, like my own father was an immigrant to Canada and he was told two times rejected from Canada saying that he uh, couldn't contribute to the labor market meaningfully. Um, but he has a master's degree in engineering. And obviously now that he's been here for a long time, he's definitely contributed to the labor market as an engineer. The thing is, is that people don't um, necessarily anticipate what kind of things that immigrants can contribute to the labor market so far ahead. Um, so I think because people can't anticipate it, they're going to expect the worst. And uh, basically they have this image of the immigrants sort of taking, like enjoying benefits of welfare without contributing to the country. Obviously, again, this is like not a factually grounded conception of what immigrants actually, uh, what roles immigrants play in Canada. So, but that said, that's kind of, uh, I think, what I've observed to be the main pushback against immigration. Bernier himself is kind of concerned with like our cultural fabric. So he doesn't want Canadian culture, whatever that is, <laughs> to, uh, to change. Um, and so he thinks, okay, well, we need to like make it happen more slowly because we can't just like let everyone come in right away and change the culture. So that's sort of the main summary of anti-immigration sentiment in Canada right now. Yeah, but, but it's very complex because I think you were saying, and not only you, that some people were saying that it, this anti-immigrant uh, message is getting even to immigrants. So there are some immigrants yes. that are sympathetic to, to Bernier. Yes, yes, definitely. And so, so, yeah, I mean, this is what's so interesting about, like, ideology and class interest, right, is that I think we sort of have these assumptions that when we say people are rational actors, that means that they will rationally sort of, like, act in a way that is always going to be conducive to their long-term interests. But you can still be a rational actor and yet succumb to hegemonic ideology. And that might actually be in your short-term benefit. So, for example, with pro-Bernier immigrants, um, I think what happens is you come here, you put in your work, and you see directly the kind of work that you put in. And you think, okay, well, I'm one of the good ones um, I'm not going, I'm not coming here to change the culture. Like I'm really good at assimilating into the culture and these people accept me and you want to be accepted. You want to be on like 
the winner's side, right? You want to be on the side of the people who have the power. And you think that if you mold yourself in such a way that is going to make yourself pleasing to this other side, even though the side of Bernier, like, they're not here to actually protect the immigrants that are going to assimilate, but they they can use them meaningfully as, as sort of tokens for the cause. And so what happens is you do have your immediate burdens alleviated when you start to espouse dominant ideology, because then people will see you personally as one of the good ones. They're not going to see the other people that share an identity with you as the good ones. They're not going to see other immigrants as it. But you as an individual are going to immediately benefit from espousing dominant ideology. Um, and in that way, they are behaving rationally in that respect. Um, they're behaving rationally when it comes to short-term gains. Now, they might grow to end up being betrayed by these people, as is what happens when people collaborate, right? But for the time being, they get to enjoy a sort of uh, privilege that immigrants who might speak against the status quo wouldn't necessarily enjoy. Yeah, that, that's uh, certainly an interesting phenomenon. And I mean, now it's a... Uh, I, th I think that the the how to say in, in this way the yeah the, it's it's a sentiment that that it's growing everywhere and and even in in Spain who was relatively friendly to immigrants uh, we have seen the rise of Vox which also is a more or less right wing populism on, on similar lines that that Bernier's uh, popul People's Party and, yes and. Yeah, it's 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 very uh, complex to to that there is not a, a Western country that ha isn't seen this kind of of populism. Uh, and yeah. But now to, to move to to other issues, uh, the how do you see the the, the Canadian left? Because uh, as far as I know, the the two large parties are um, the new Democratic Party, I think. Which is yes. So we have, like, I mean, the Liberal Party here is really not what I would call left. Um, the Liberal Party here is very, like, corporatist. Um, I mean, they uh, are working hand-in-hand -hand with uh, powerful corporations like Kinder Morgan and protecting other pow powerful corporations like SNC-Lavalin. So they're definitely what I would consider a sort of capitalist party. Um They are certainly not the same, obviously, as American uh, right-wingers, but they're definitely not what I would say is leftist. They're sort of like the neoliberal, rational, centrist party, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. So basically, we have the New Democratic Party, but they, too, have been kind of disappointing to the left. Um, Jagni Singh, who's their leader has been sort of accused of being the NDP version of Trudeau <laughs> because he's kind of speaks in platitudes and uh, he hasn't really stood up against a lot of uh, more difficult right-wing challenges. So what happened was is we sort of had four people run for the NDP leadership 
And Singh was the sort of establishment candidate that, uh, you know, sort of raised the most establishment money. Um, I was personally trying to help uh, Nikki Ashton win the nomination. Uh, she was absolutely wonderful. She was just like a very, she was kind of like the Canada's uh, Bernie Sanders <laughs> yeah, almost. Um, and she was very much like, her foreign policy especially was like very bold, which is something that you don't often see uh, in the Western left. I find that like people in the Western left are sometimes hesitant to call out uh, imperialism and imperialist abuses. So Ashton, like the first time I met her, she was giving a talk and talking about how, um, you know, Trudeau calls himself a feminist, yet he's like arming Saudi Arabia to the teeth. <laughs> so, I mean, since then I was like, okay, this is the person that, you know, I want to work to get elected. Uh, didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, uh, she's definitely, I think, one of the strongest voices in the sort of mainstream left uh, when it comes to party politics. Um, that said, there are also, um, more further left voices that, I mean, they don't have like spots in parliament, but they sometimes will, uh, you know, be vocal. So we have the communist party of Canada who recently, a few days ago, actually called out Charlie Angus, who is a member of the NDP, um, for supporting the invasion in Libya. Um, because he was trying to speak about the SNC-Lavalin scandal and condemn Trudeau, and the Communist Party sort of called him out and was like, you know what, man, like, this is, like, are you really going to bring up Libya right now because you're the one that supported, like, you voted to intervene there, and now they have slave markets. Um, so, you know, that was kind of fun. Um, and, you know, we have the Mobilization Against War and Occupation group, um, who also just kind of mobilizes um, uh, rallies and sort of support around uh, opposing occupation and interventions uh, in places all around the world. So we have a few left movements, um, but in terms of our mainstream politics, I would say that Canada is just very sort of neoliberal, like rational centrist, sort of that kind of, that's kind of where we're situated right now. And so we have the far right, who is trying to challenge that in one way, and then we have the left who is trying to challenge that in a different way. Yeah, and what about the, the Green Party? Is it uh, on the left? Because in, in, in some countries it, it's not necessarily on the left, in others it is, and it, it, it changed from country to country, the Green Party. Yeah, so our Green Party is not huge um, in the elections, like they don't have a lot of seats. Um, they are considered left-wing, but they're not really, like, usually people I know that are, like, on the left here will probably just vote for NDP because <coughs> they're a more uh, established left-wing party. Okay. Whereas the Green Party, and the, the leader of the Green Party has, like, you know, said a few weird things uh, that, like, have kind of, like, not made their status taken super seriously. Um, like they've spoken out against like reproductive freedom in some capacities. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, the Greens are, are, are quite a curious thing. In um, here, 
there used to be they are very weird here the, basically they have this bandit but there is one um there's one former green which is the mayor of the largest district in, in peru so yeah that's like kind of exchanged a lot and he barely won but still it's, uh, they they are still around even in countries where where they're Parties are no longer active. The people that that get involved in green politics are are still involved in some some way. But I, I was thinking, and what about Montreal? Because there there is like solidarity, I guess. So yeah, yeah. There's Quebec solidarity. I think is who you're thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. So there definitely is a movement there, and I um. A few months ago, I went to uh, one of, like, the largest left-wing conferences in Montreal. So it just had, like, leftist people from sort of all factions. There were, um, you know, there were communists, there were anarchists, there were, like, democratic socialists. Um, Just people from all stripes kind of gathering for a few days of conferences. So I kind of got to see um, a bunch of panels. And I did briefly, I went to a panel on Islamophobia, and there was someone from Quebec Solidaire there. Uh, so they were very interesting because they have, like, they definitely have very radical and progressive ideas. Apparently there's been some Islamophobia issues, but I'm really not, well, like, up to date on that. Um, but they're a provincial party, so they're not a federal federal party. In Quebec, we just had a provincial election, and we went with a very sort of populist anti-immigrant party. So that was a little unfortunate, a little bit of a setback. <laughs> but uh, we didn't have a lot of choices, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the thing that I know about... about... Canada and particularly Montreal left is, is I don't know if you have watched the film The Trotsky. No. It's a Canadian film from 2009 about uh, a guy, a high school kid that thinks that he's a reincarnation of Leon Trotsky. Yeah, it's kind of weird. But and uh, I saw an interview with the director and he said that he. That, that when he was young, he, he considered himself a communist, and that was basically based on, on part of his experience and things that he used to say when he was in high school. And I think it was a very particular film, and I think that probably is, is a kind of film, even if it was shot in English, curiously, despite being on drill. But um, it, it's very curious because I, I thought it was very interesting because it's a kind of film that I don't think it will have been able to be made in, in the US for different reasons, particularly like now, like 10 years ago. And yeah, it was very interesting. Then uh, the other thing I heard about the Canadian left was the Montreal protests of 2011. Uh, 2011. The Maple... The, I, yeah. Like are you the, the students, right? Yeah, I think? yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was very interesting. I wasn't in Montreal at the time, um, but I did hear about it. Um, my school got, like, a bunch of these policies, um, or, or my school had, like, a... Uh, I just remember hearing about it because 
in one of my classes, the profs was saying, like, we'll still have class if there are student strikes. Like, please don't block my classroom and stuff like that. <laughs> so apparently during our student strikes before, uh, people were stopped from, like, going to class. Um, and this is because there's a very big anti-austerity movement in Montreal. So when there's austerity and, like, increases in... Uh, college tuition, people in Quebec really know how to, like, take it to the streets and protest. Um, they're definitely not sort of passive in the face of things like austerity. Um, so that's kind of adm admirable, for sure. Well, yes. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, it's it was one of the of the news that, that, that I have gathered. Because it's not... It's very curious, but we don't know that much about the Guinea lab in, in many ways. And, and it's very, very curious. I, because beyond the New Democratic Party and, and what you were saying, I think there was one or two pieces, in, I think, in somewhere where I read about Nikki Ashton as the, as the as Canada's Bernie Sanders. And, and it's, uh, it's very curious that yeah the, the, the kind of and what is about the the other far left parties are they national has any of them has able to to be on the ballot box or something sorry like, i didn't quite like get what you mean like, like in canada yes in canada is any far left party on the ballot box or is any party like uh um like runs for elections or something Yeah, I mean, so right now for the elections, we just have like the five, now we have five, six parties. So we have Conservative, People's Party, um, Liberals, NDP, Green Party, and then there's also um, the Bloc Québécois. So Bloc Québécois, they're a separatist party. So they're very interesting because it's kind of like you vote them into federal parliament, but at the same time, like they don't they're trying to separate Quebec from the parliament. So by voting them into a federal parliament, you're kind of also voting for them to not be in the federal parliament. <laughs> um, so that's a bit interesting. Yeah, but I guess that happens in Europe too. The, some anti-Euro parties got elected in the European parliament. So it's, it's strange yeah. that it happens. But the, the other thing that I was going to ask you is about the, the language policy, because I think it, it sometimes gets in trouble, because I know that particularly in Montreal, they have a very strong sense of, of pride about, uh, about the French and the particular French that, that they, they speak there is kind of different. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Um, so, I mean, I... Um was very, like, when I, like, I grew up around people that spoke French, um, in my family, but, like, none of my family is Quebecois, um, and, yeah, the French there was definitely very different, um, it was definitely a sort of <laughs> new, it was very new to me, um, but, um, yeah, so the bill, they have, rules that are saying to protect and preserve the French language. Um, and as we like know, I mean, right now we're, we're both 
speaking in English and like mm-hmm. most of the world when we have like in like say like interviews in mainstream politics or like any sort of big media right it's in English and so there's a sort of anglophone dominance I don't want to say supremacy <laughs> but there's like a sort of yeah. dominance of the English language right yeah. and especially in Canada um so basically what um the aims here are is to sort of make it so that you know French communities stay alive and vibrant um and so in Quebec for instance you're not allowed to have a sign in English uh like only in English so what you need to do is the signs all need to be in French and they need to be double the size of the English version of uh, the word um there are certain rules about schooling too um uh, I'm not really quite sure of the details but about like going to school in French and uh yeah there's just a bunch of sort of way like uh initiatives that they're taking to uh preserve the French language there. I definitely think that it's still like going. Like people definitely still speak French uh in Quebec and in Montreal, I guess it's like more bilingual than other Quebec places, but um I like I understand the worry as well because there's definitely a lot of English speakers there that don't know any French at all. So yeah, it's a it's a sensitive issue. And and that also has to do with immigrants because some people get mad when the immigrants don't know French. Yes, definitely. Um but it's funny because a lot of the immigrants that moved to Quebec uh do know French. So um a lot of the people that for instance like the Lebanese diaspora is huge in Quebec and Lebanese people all speak French for the most part. Um same with uh, there's people from Haiti uh there's people from Algeria uh these places Syria is another one these places all have french speaking people right mm. um i think like the issue is is that there's also a lot of uh anti immigration sentiment in Quebec uh as i was we were talking about earlier mm. it comes back to that right and so if you're speaking like i don't know like arabic in public uh they might get angry at you under the guise of oh we want to protect our heritage we want to protect the french language because the french language is under attack but really it probably comes from some xenophobia as well um so i think that's definitely you know an issue in quebec and everywhere else in canada but quebec sort of has this complex about the french language um and so it might be a little bit more magnified there sometimes what i was once hearing was that that the south asian languages were also growing rapidly because the south asian community is also large mm. in montreal no i i don't know if montreal or i i think probably if they are indians they probably moved to the english speaking part because they i think yeah well i mean also like in india they have so many languages in yeah. in south right yeah so Yeah, I mean, I definitely in Quebec there's de- it's like very multicultural, right? Like in Montreal it's very multicultural. Um but there's still definitely a lot of people that are very um upset uh about you know, uh the fact that there are more and more non-French speaking people coming or people who speak French but might not speak it uh as their first language. Um so that's kind of uh a source of resentment. 
so moving to another topic, and, and how do you see anarchism in, in Canada? Because in the U.S., it, it seems that at least until until the emergence of BSA, it was kind of the protest movements. A lot of it, it had links to to anarchism. Even BSA has a lot of anarchist members, which is kind of funny because technically they are um, they they basically act as a wing of the Democratic Party, and anarchists have generally been critical of the Democratic Party. But anyway, <laughs> how, how, how does the, the anarchism reflect in Canada in some way? So, I mean, I don't know a lot about, like, just, like, strictly anarchist communities. Um, I know, like, a lot of sort of, uh, you know, leftist alliances that have uh, both, say, like, socialists and anarchists. Um, but I, I don't know if I, like, there's some Antifa stuff that I, like, know a little bit about as well. But as we know, Antifa is very, like, diverse. It's not just anarchists. Yeah. Um, even though their tactics are kind of what are associated with anarchism. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like, we have an Antifa here. Um, we have, I, I've done a little bit of work with, um, Kurdish movements in Montreal, uh, who are sort of like anarchist, anarcho-communist. Um, so yeah, I mean, it really, there's definitely like leftist groups in terms of like strictly just anarchists. I haven't really heard a lot from, but that doesn't mean they're not there. I just haven't heard much from them. Yeah. I mean, other thing that I, Particularly in the U.S. case, I have seen a lot is Trotsky's groups, and and they have a lot of splits, and they the splits all a lot of times have other splits, and a lot of times even the splits. Yeah, have the no. Splits. So we have Trotsky's groups, but like I don't know if they're anarchists. They're kind of like like they're just a kind of socialist, but yeah. maybe some of them are anarchists. But I mean, we have a, a one of the biggest Trotsky's groups I know of is called Socialist Fight Back in in Canada. Um, I'm not super hype about them. Uh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but, <laughs> but I'm not super hype about them. There's been a lot of uh, sort of complaints about uh, sexual harassment and um, like transphobia within fight back circles. And so um, yeah. I've also just noticed like, a lot of it's just full of like brochalists. I'm gonna get in so much trouble for saying this. Yeah, there's a lot of brochalist vibes there um, that I have not personally like felt welcome within. So I mean, I, I'm not even a Trotskyist anyway, but yeah. um, that's my experience with Trotskyists, and they yeah. all wear the same hat. That's something else I've noticed. Yeah, it's it's, it's strange, but this issue you mentioned with with transphobia and. And, uh, and sometimes more simply homophobia. It's, it's something that I have heard of other trusts group, and it it arises, I guess, because some some of them are are very old school in some ways, and I guess there are very it's it the rise of the of the different I don't know it's, it's say tendencies, but I think that there are basically some Trotskyist organizations that are very decentralist, and that basically. Any faction in any country of, of that uh, central group has very different ideas, and 
And but the other organizations that are much more centralized and sometimes have like a popular hero or someone who is on the top and, and sometimes it's an old person that has very reactionary ideas and sometimes I have seen these kind of things in other places. And the other thing that I was going to ask you is uh, how does does the does the politics of the U.S. reflect on, on, on Canada? Because being on the border, like uh, it's it's. Uh, I have seen the Canadian media cover a lot of, of, of American politics and, and sometimes even more than Canadian politics and it's kind of strange. That's a good question. So, um, but like just before getting to that, I just want to say one more thing about like the Trotskyists yeah. and like homophobia and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've written about this a little bit uh, on my Twitter because it's something that I've, I've really noticed. Um, being complained about a lot in leftist groups. And that is sort of this tendency to want to ascribe uh, bigoted views as like a feature of a certain kind of group. So for instance, you know, uh, someone might say, okay, well, the left has an anti-Semitism problem, uh, or, you know, this part of the left has a homophobia problem, and people act shocked by it, right? Or like, this part of the left has like sexual harassment, and I can't believe it. And the thing is, is like, say, being shocked at these things is not consistent with leftist ideology. Because like, by our own admission, if we're, we're when we talk about oppression, we're talking about a way that we organize ourselves, right? Uh, it's not just a character flaw, and it's not something that's like sort of insulated within one community uh, in society. It's it's something that uh, sort of grounds all of our preconceptions, presuppositions, sort of, um, and it sort of teaches us what to expect of each other. So, you know, every single group is going to have to deal with bigotry within its ranks because nobody is immune, right, from, like, internalizing dominant ideology. And if dominant ideology is unjust, that means that we're all going to hold unjust expectations, uh, whether they're implicit or explicit. And so... The, the sort of task, right, for, for us on the left is to, you know, deal with that and own up to that. And, um, like, while I have issues with groups, like, you know, I'll say, like, oh, well, I don't like this group because they have this, this, and this. It's like, yeah, they have this, this, and this. But it's not necessarily because of, you know, like, I don't think, like, it's because they're Trotskyists or, like, whatever, because they're this. I think it's because we, like, there are certain people that who are in charge of the group that need to just manage it better. They sort of need to manage how people's inner socialization is being manifest and how that's making certain people feel within the group. So that's my comments on that. <laughs> just needed to get that mm -hmm. out there. But um, with respect to American politics affecting Canada, um, I think it greatly does. I think that we have very similar origins uh, and very similar histories of domination. Um, we're both settler colonies um, that have subjugated indigenous and black folks. So like we both have similar and we both have had imperialist presences uh, across the globe. People like to act like Canada has not, but we certainly have. And so, um, while I think that, I mean, the U.S. is a, is more of a hegemonic power than Canada, um, I really think that Canada is one of its sort of key allies um, 
on the international stage, we are still a sort of wealthy and powerful country in some respect. Um, I also think that they do influence us because American media and like American discourse influences everybody, uh, not just Canada, but you know, like, uh, the far right, I think like the election of Trump and like the sort of far right emboldenment in the U S has consequences beyond its borders. Um, we definitely see people, I've seen people in Canada wearing Donald Trump hats and like feeling, you know, sort of emboldened, like, well, it happened down there. It might be able to happen up here. Um, and I think that, you know, for instance, the uh, emboldenment of Bernier, um, and the People's Party comes with this sort of wave of uh, right-wing populism. And that's not just the U.S., right? There's other countries that are experiencing right-wing white populism. <laughs> right-wing populism. Um, and because of that, uh, you know, that's going to affect Canada. I also, I mean, it's important to note that our former prime minister, Stephen Harper, uh, had very close relationships with uh, George Bush and Netanyahu. Um, you know, imperialists all love each other. Uh, <laughs> like that's just we have a relationship with to them in our sort of capacity as another global capitalist imperialist power. Um, so I think that's sort of how we relate, and I think that the outreach of the U.S. is very uh, substantial. So, moving to other question, you, you mentioned Netanyahu and, and how is the Canadian relationship with 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 uh, with uh, Israel? Because, as far as we know, it's it's a it's, it's different than, than the U.S., but it's still not not. Yeah, I would say it's more or less the same. Um, I mean, there, I think sometimes we might not be as aggressive with our support for Israel, but I think it's like always there. Um, I mean, Harper, one of my earliest memories of Canadian politics was Harper sort of, um, just standing right behind Israel as they were bombing Lebanon in 2006. Um, and you know, like alienating a lot of his constituents in the process because there were a lot of Lebanese Canadians that did vote for Harper and that were certainly disappointed uh, by what he did. And so he sort of gave up the vote of Lebanese immigrants um, and other immigrants from Arab states uh, to back Israel. Um, that's not to say that he doesn't have right-wing constituents that you know, sort of love that. <laughs> uh, Trudeau, I think, is also very, like, you know, very standardly pro-Israel as well. Um, he actually went to McGill and has spoken out against movements at McGill that are critical of Israel. Uh, so, like, against like, my own school's, you know, <laughs> uh, political movements. So in that respect, uh, I, I don't see us really changing from the status quo. Like I said about Nikki Ashton before, I think she's one of the only people to have uh, really substantially offered a critique of our relationship with Israel. Um, but I don't think that it's 
detachable from our interests, just as I don't think Israel is detachable from U.S. interests either. Um, I really don't think that we, as a sort of imperialist settler colony, um, are going to break ties with Israel or Saudi Arabia or any other of these kinds of powers, because that's just who we are as a nation. And so if we want to sort of challenge these ties, we need we need to really challenge like what Canada is. Yeah, I, so I was thinking, now that you mentioned Israel, I, I was for some reason thinking in, in the, in the the aspects of the of the far right and and and, is, and in in Canada is is very particular because not, not only there is now uh, Bernier's People's Party but but there are these far right provocators in a way that are not necessarily politicians but people like Gavin McInnes like uh, Stephen Folnew like um, yes yeah so these uh, people from Rebel Media I think they're called them so these yeah. far writers. So what they have, I mean, it's 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 very curious, but a lot of times people don't don't remember they are Canadians, and sometimes even Americans think that Canada is kind of a, a social democracy, and, and and it's and funnily enough, in Sweden also there is like a movement like like this, and a lot of uh, the Sweden Democrats. That's that's why they are the most radical anti-immigrants in in Scandinavia, uh, but. Um, but yes, why why do you think that that, that this movement appeared and and it seems in some ways has inspired the the, the American right because McInnes was a, kind of a, a founder of of, the, of Proud Boys and, and, and was kind of the the, the early groups of, of the all right in some ways. Yes. Um, so I mean, I think that um, it would be a mistake to conceive of. Uh, the far right as a simply American thing. Um, and, yeah, so I, anyway, so I think that, like, um, we definitely just have a far right presence, and it's going to, um, the far right presence here is just going to keep being a thing, uh, because we have people challenging the status quo right now. And the far right is a sort of counter-revolutionary backlash um, against people that are trying to change and challenge our fundamental assumptions. So as long as we have leftist movements here, um, as long as we have, you know, like feminist struggle, socialist struggle, and so forth, we're going to have these reactionary forces that are going to try and oppose it. Because we have these powerful... Uh, we have people who have interests in defending the status quo and they're going to just like go down with that. Um, so I don't know if it's fully from American influence. I think maybe because American popular culture is so uh, widespread that it might influence the form that the far right is going to take uh, in other places. So they might influence the way that far right wingers organize in Canada, but I don't think they're necessarily going to be the cause of uh, the far right here. Yeah, I mean it's it's very curious, particularly with with McKinnis and McKinnis, uh, the because he found the vice, which which is kind of very surprising, but still in some ways makes sense because of some of his articles are very 
dealing with sexism and misogynist still now. I, I think maybe there has been a purge of some people more close to him, but but it's still it's difficult to, to purge a magazine now has hundreds of writers and, and in some ways, uh, yeah, it's it's a very curious because Vice had a, a, a lot of success here in Peru, even when they didn't have a, 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 a Spanish version, even in that days, it, it kind of have a, some following and and it's it's very curious because they they cover a lot of things that that that, that medium in, in many parts didn't cover, but at the same time, they have a very strange kind of, of politics, and, and and it's very curious because it's I think now it it has like uh, it has uh, actions and, and and people on their board that are not Canadians, but it 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 started if I'm not wrong as a it's a Canadian enterprise. Yes. Yeah, Vice. So Vice is interesting um, because they have, like, more lefty sort of, like, factions, like uh, uh, Canada Land, I think, and, and broadly. But at the same time, Vice has tended to post uh, some reactionary stuff as well. So they're kind of um, a mixed bag. Um, obviously, Gavin McInnes himself uh, is just very blatantly a reactionary, um, like in a very uncontroversial sense. But if I recall correctly, I think he had left Vice when he became uh, more reactionary. So uh, I don't know if he himself is behind that sort of thing. Um, Vice to me just seems like very standard, like liberal uh, content with the occasional reactionary thing and the occasional good thing, um, which mm. I think most, you know, media, not most, but. Uh, a good deal of very mainstream media might have, right? And then for the most part, it's just like average centrist stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we have, we can leave it here. I think we have talked a lot, a lot of things and I think it has been an interesting conversation. So where could people find you online? Sorry? So where, where could people find you? Like, I think in, in Twitter, you're always making rants, interesting Yes, <laughs> I think Twitter is like my most active place of, of posting um, because I'll post like my articles and stuff there as well. Um, I'm basically like a free agent when it comes to articles. So like I publish with anyone um, that like will mildly align with my views. Uh, but yeah, so my Twitter is at... Gariab M, you might have to write that in the description yeah. because no one's going to be able to pronounce yeah. Uh, yeah. or understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'll you can probably put that in the description. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think Twitter is the best p place to reach me. Um, and yeah. <laughs> so it has been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.